our theme this year has been each one reach one. And we're talking about the need for us as believers to what, what the last song sang to us and, and spoke to us about uh, giving, giving God our lives and ourselves completely so that we are not just people who live for him, but people who reach out to others and share our faith and evangelize because that's what we're here for. That's the purpose of us staying here, to live our lives in a way that honors Jesus Christ and to tell others about him. Now, we've, through, the, through the year, we've, we've covered different topics and about our lives and how uh, it is important for us as individuals to keep our lives strong and straight with God and things that we do in our lives and how we go about doing them. And then a few weeks ago, we started a new series as we moved through it uh, entitled WDJD. What did Jesus do? Not what would Jesus do in situations. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus, after we've learned all of this, and see this is what we do here, what we do in Bible studies, what we do in your, your own personal devotions, and your own personal growth, is important. Preparation and growth and strength for all, for all of your own life. But if all it does is sit there in your life, and it sits there in your mind and your heart, and never comes out in the way you live, then it's just knowledge. And what we're trying to look at in this series is what did Jesus do? How did Jesus go about ministering? How did Jesus live his faith? Live out the faith that he brought to this world? How did Jesus set the example for us as followers of his to reach the world? Because Jesus was and remains the ultimate example of successful, meaningful, and productive godly living. Understand that. He is the example. He's the perfect number one example, and he always will remain that. Not only did he manage his personal life, he went outside of his personal life and actually lived what he believed, what he preached, and what he taught in front of others. Last week we started uh, this message, and we said the first thing that I see that Jesus did was Jesus confronted sin honestly. And I know that took a few people aback when I, I, I gave that title and we went on and explained it, and I challenge you if, you, if you have a little bit of a thought about, well, what's he talking about there? Uh, it's on our uh, uh, podcast, and it's on our Facebooks. I got it right this time. Uh, and it's on our Facebook page, and you can go listen to that sermon, because it's not exactly what you may think it is. Uh, confronting sin in our lives and, and dealing with others. And the important part of it, we said that Jesus faced temptation with biblical principles, and so should we. Jesus stood for truth and good and spoke out against lies and evils. Said so Jesus challenged people to be better. That's what church is all about, by the way. Well, that's why I shouldn't say this. It's one of the things church is about. It's coming together with other people of like faith and challenging ourselves and challenging each other to be better followers of Jesus. I've had some great conversations already this morning that have challenged me to be better, that have encouraged me, that have, uh, if I could jump, they would cause me to jump for joy. Seriously. It's been a good morning already for me. That's what being part of a church, one of the reasons that we come here as a church group, come together to learn from each other and to challenge each other to be better. The next area I want to look at is an area we talked about earlier in the, the year, but it's something that Jesus uh, did in his ministry and something I believe we need to do as well. 
And that's this. Jesus shared his faith strategically. Jesus shared his faith strategically. Make no mistake, this is where the rubber meets the road as a follower of Jesus, sharing your faith. Now we could, we could have doctrinal arguments and we could have discussions and there are those who would feel differently about the topic and would come at it from a different way. But I believe I, could, I can and I, I will make a strong biblical argument for, for this being the most important part of our life outside of our own personal walk with Jesus Christ. Sharing our faith. Not simply being a Christian, not simply living as a Christian, not simply coming here on Sunday morning and sitting in a seat and singing worship music, but actively being out there in your life, sharing your faith with others. We're going to talk about what that looks like and, and what Jesus did, not just sharing your faith, but sharing it in a way that is effective, that is compelling, and that's engaging. We talked about it quite a bit here, that the church has lost its, uh, almost, almost lost its moral authority in our society today. People don't look to the church for answers. I was talking about with, with uh, the, all the mass shootings going on uh, and school shootings going on. I was talking to uh, somebody in, the, in, in a couple people in our church. And I said, you know, I firmly believe that if there was a, a school shooting in our town here in East Long Meadow or in the surrounding towns, they would not call the churches to come and help counsel. They wouldn't do it. They have other resources and assets. Why? Because we've lost our footing in, in the communities. In other words, when it comes to sharing your faith, I believe you need to have a strategy. Strategy to share your faith. Jesus did. Jesus didn't just adopt what someone else said or did. He didn't rely on others to get the message out. Jesus took the opportunities that came his way to share his faith. The faith that he had brought to this world. Because it's what people needed to hear. Listen, living your faith is incredibly important. But living your faith is only part of the equation. It's the, only the first part of the equation. Right now, preseason football is going on, right? And everybody's getting excited. Oh, football's back, football's back, football's back. None of these games matter, man. None of these games matter, right? You can, you can go 4-0 in the preseason and score 100 points every game and still not get anything for it because they don't matter. What matters is what you do week one and on. As a Christian... I'm not saying it doesn't matter because it's incredibly important that you grow and get strong in your faith. But if that's where it stops, then your witness is not reaching to other people. And that's incredibly important for us. If we're going to reach people with the message of Jesus, then we have to be ready, we have to be willing, and we have to be able to share our faith with others verbally. We read of the importance of sharing our faith in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, where Paul says, How then can they call on him... They have not believed it. And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? It's a very simplistic breakdown, isn't it? That Paul uses here in Romans 10, 14. Listen, they need to hear about Jesus. It's important that people hear. They're never going to be able to make a decision about Jesus Christ as their Savior if they don't hear about him. Right? That's just common sense. 
Well, you know what's even more, what's even commoner sense, or even more common sense? That they won't hear unless somebody tells them. They won't hear without somebody going out and actually sharing their faith and telling them about Jesus Christ. We've been tasked with that job. I know it's intimidating. I know, let's be honest, in the area we live, the region we live in, it's not popular. It's not popular to share your faith. It's not popular to even speak about God, speak about Jesus Christ. Because you're going to get into a fight. This is a true story, right? We're sitting down yesterday. Was it yesterday morning, Aaron? We're sitting down on the couch talking with Michael. And said something about uh, school and God. Oh. And Michael. No, Gabriel. 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 No, true story, Charlie. Gabriel says to us, my teachers told me, they're going to third grade, mind you, third grade. They were in second grade last year. My teachers told me I can't talk about God in school. Oops. That's a bad move. That's a bad, because I'm a big mouth parent. Tell you what. Tell you what. I'm also a cranky old man. So you you put those two things together, and and it's going to be... Listen, I don't... and, And we'll talk a little bit about this as we get in. Because what I said earlier, it's not just about sharing your faith. It's about sharing your faith in a way that people actually want to hear. Where people want to listen to you. Well, you can stand on a, on a street corner with a megaphone like they used to do back in the 60s, uh, street preachers, and, and really annoy people and drive them away. I've been in those situations. I've, I've done that kind of stuff when I was a kid. Nowadays, that's not going to work. So we need to have a strategy sharing our faith in such a way that people are going to listen to us, and we're going to cause them to think about what it is we have to say. Because there are all kinds of options out there today. All kinds of options, all kinds of different answers, wrong answers to the right questions. By the way, we'll be monitoring that situation with my boys. Yes. We'll we'll talk. We'll talk with the, the schools if that comes up. Some great Christian minds and lives have shared their thoughts about what the vital importance of each of us sharing our faith. D. Elton Trueblood said, Evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men, but is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to the company of Jesus. It's not just my job, folks. It's not just my job to tell our community about Jesus. It's not just my job to tell your community about Jesus. It's your job as well. Yes, live Jesus Christ. Live Him loud. But when the opportunity arises because of the way you've lived your life to to talk to somebody about Jesus and what He means to you, you need to be ready. You need to be ready in such a way that you can coherently and cohesively tell about what has happened to you. Remember that statement... Uh, evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's not as tough as you think. 
Just tell people what happened to you. Richard Halverson said, Evangelism is not salesmanship. It is not urging people or pressing them, coercing them, overwhelming overwhelming them, or subduing them. Evangelism is telling a message. Evangelism is reporting good news. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. We want, I I believe we need to, it is incumbent upon us here, especially in our community, the least evangelized metropolitan area of the country. I believe it is incumbent upon us that we earn the right by the way we live to share our faith with people. We live with character and integrity. I was, uh, Brian, I was talking to Brian. Brian and I, he's my Dunkin' Donuts coffee buddy on Sunday mornings. We run to Dunkin' Donuts and brag on my dad a little bit. Uh, my 85-year-old dad is sitting here, and uh, my dad raised me to be a man of character and integrity. And I try to live up to that. I try to honor my father and the way he raised me in the way I live. My dad, uh, if you, he's, he, um, He's, he, when he walks, he, he struggles now a little bit. He's a little bit advanced. And my mom has the handicapped placard for her car. Um, Vicki came in today, and she said she didn't know where my father was. And then she saw me. She said, your car wasn't where it was supposed to be. And my, my dad kind of chuckled. And I was talking to Brian, and we pulled back in, and I said, Brian... See where my dad's parked? He said, yeah. I said, my dad has a handicapped placard that belongs to my mom. My mom's not in the car. My dad won't park in the handicapped spot. With his health challenges, his heart, whatever it is, my dad won't park there. Because it's not the right thing to do. That's my father. When my dad lives a life of integrity that way, and somebody asks him about his faith, he has, the, he has the change in his pocket, as we say, to speak about Jesus Christ and the change he can make. That's what I'm talking about, folks. You live a life of integrity and character. You live a life that honors Jesus Christ. You live a life that incorporates the principles that we learn about in the Bible. And when you do that, and people do see the difference in you, not because of your political leanings, not because of your, your sports teams that you follow, because of the way you live your life. When they see that and they ask, now what do you do? Are you prepared to tell them about the Jesus that saved your soul? Are you prepared to tell them about the one that gives you hope? Are you prepared? Do you have a strategy? Do you have a plan? Do you know what you would say? Do you have answers? To those questions. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church out in California, said the way to store up treasure in heaven is to invest in getting people there. And Luis Palau, my boys love that guy's name. I mean, listen to K-Love. You hear, you hear Luis Palau. Luis Palau, the boys, every time they'd say Luis Palau, my boys would say, Luis Palau. They love it. They just absolutely love it. Luis Palau says this, evangelism is not an option for the Christian life. It's not an option. It's what we're here for. That's why he left us. Remember, uh, those of you who've been in church for a while, when the, the pastor would say, if 
God didn't have a plan for you, when you accepted Jesus as your Savior, He would have taken you to heaven right then. He's left you here for a purpose. He's left you here to accomplish something. And that's to live a life that honors and glorifies Him and take every opportunity to share your faith that presents itself. <clears throat> so how did Jesus approach the task of evangelism? What is it that Jesus did? I've got three, three easy points I want to share with you this morning about how Jesus faced the task of evangelism. How did he, how, how prepared was he? How did he prepare himself? And what did he do? The first thing is this. The first thing is this. Jesus was prepared with his message. We've talked about preparation all morning. Jesus was prepared with his message. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Jesus was convinced of the truth of his message and wasn't shy or intimidated about sharing it. Now I know you're going to say, well, of course. He was Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the Savior. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the creator of all things. He's the Word that became flesh. He is how all things exist and consist. Of course he was convinced. I get, I get that. I get where you're coming from when, when you say those kind of things or think those kind of things. But remember this. Jesus still came down to earth and lived among human beings for 33 years. And his life is still, much of his life and ministry is still recorded in the word for us. And it's done so for a reason. So that he will be an example to us of how to live. And how to share our faith. So we can't get away with the excuse, well, he was Jesus. Of course he did. No, he was Jesus and he was a human being for a reason. He lived among us for a reason. So we need to learn from the life and the pattern and the example he laid down for us. As I said, Jesus was convinced of the truth of his message and wasn't shy or intimidated about sharing it. John 14, 6, Jesus said this. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, listen, this is important. Especially young people who are being inundated and bombarded with all kinds of different ideas and the things you see on the internet. All of us, the things we research and the different kind. If you saw another, there was a big controversy in Christianity this week when another uh, a, a wor another worship leader walked away and, and said he no longer considers himself uh, a Christian and uh, a Christian author and pastor of a, a mega church. He wrote the book uh, "I Kissed Dating Goodbye" back in the uh, '90s. Said I've, I've walked away from my faith and I no longer consider myself a Christian. And there were some responses to that. Okay? The reason that happens is because we don't get grounded in our faith. Young people, it's because we don't get grounded in our faith. I have, no, I have no issue listening to other people and their thoughts. I think it's very important. I was a military intelligence in the Army. We did opposition forces training. So we knew what our opponents, what our enemy was doing. I knew the battle plan. Back then it was the Russians. I knew the battle plan of the Russians. I served in South Korea. I knew the battle plan of the North Koreans. I copied Morse code. I could tell when a North Korean was sending code, and I had to intercept that so that our DF section could find them and our, our uh, other section could break it down. So I don't have any issue or any problem 
studying and learning about my opposition. But I'll tell you what. I know it's my opposition because I study what I believe. And I know what I believe. And I'm convinced of what I believe. It's important for me, I believe, to know what they think and what they say so that I can have an answer. And we'll talk about that in a minute. We need to be convinced of the truth. Listen, it can be difficult to speak out, just like, but just like Jesus, we must be convinced of the truth and have the courage to share the message of Jesus Christ. It is difficult to speak out. It is, it is difficult to talk. It is difficult many times to share. But if you don't know what you believe, if you're not convinced of the fact that He is the truth, above all things, then when your faith is challenged and tested, you may very well fall away, as, fall away too. Individuals we're seeing fall away right now are people who are strong leaders, who were strong leaders of strong churches. Yet there's something wrong. They didn't anchor themselves in their faith. And please believe that. Understand, I'm not picking on anybody here. But I'm saying, if your faith can be shaken that easily, you're not anchored in your faith. Jesus was able to speak out and was able to speak with authority and conviction because he knew that what he stood for and what he believed was the truth. Not a truth. Not part of the truth. Was the truth. One of the hardest things we have today is to try to talk to people who don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. In, my short, in, in the short years that I've lived, we have gone from, those of you who are in my generational uh, age group, I'm in my 50s, so if you're in that generational age group, you could probably relate to me here. There was a time in this country, in my lifetime, when the Bible was considered the Word of God. And we accepted the Bible as the Word of God. Even people that didn't go to church accepted the Bible as the Word of God. So when you talk to people about Jesus Christ and you share with them the Bible, they looked at the Bible as an authoritative, holy book. It's not seen that way by much of society in America today. So it makes it much more difficult to talk to people about your faith being the true faith when there are so many other options out there. What we need to make sure of that even though there are those who believe different things, we are solid in what we believe. Before you learn about what somebody else believes, before you learn about another faith, make sure you know about your own. Make sure you're grounded in the truth of the Word of God. That's why we offer Bible studies. That's why we're looking to offer more Bible studies here. That's why we're looking to, uh, we, we have um, discipleship and we're, uh, in, we're, we're designing a new discipleship course. Because we want to help you. It's my desire that we grow deeper in our faith. Because the deeper you are in your faith, the deeper your roots grow, the harder it is to take you away. And the more difficult it is to knock you down and knock you out. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 
last phrase is incredibly important. It is important that we have the ability to answer people as to what we believe and why we believe it. Well, why do you, why, why do you believe that you have eternal life? Why do you believe that you're going to heaven when you die? Can you answer that question to somebody? When someone asks you about the hope you have and the reason you go to church and the reason you are, are, uh, are, are supposedly unshakable in your faith, do you have an answer as to why? Can you tell them, this is what I believe and why? Or is it, well, my pastor says, or well, my church says, or well, I read a book one time. That's not good enough. It's not good enough. Jesus spoke with authority because he knew what he believed. It is vitally important, folks, that we know what we believe and we're grounded in our faith. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Do you believe that? Is that a core foundational belief in your life? That the Word of God, what is contained in the Bible, is what everyone needs. And it is the only way people will get to heaven. Not a way. The way. Not a way people will get to heaven. Do you believe it is the way people will get to heaven? Jesus was able, and was able to be prepared with his message and to share his message with confidence. Because he believed and knew that it was the only way. And I would ask you this question. If you aren't convinced, how can you be convincing? If you aren't convinced that this is the only way to heaven. If you aren't convinced that if people die without Jesus as their Savior, they will spend eternity in hell. How in the world can you be convincing to others? This is not... This is not an attack on people. Please don't get me wrong. This is a challenge to dig into your faith and know what you believe. I know that people struggle with that. I know that there are questions in minds. And I know that you're, you've probably had discussions that, that not have shaken your faith, but have caused you to think and consider other things many people have. But what is your ultimate answer? And if it's your ultimate answer for yourself that Jesus is the Savior of the world, then it has to be the ultimate answer for everybody. If you aren't convinced, how can you be convincing? The second thing that Jesus, how he approached evangelism was this. Jesus was patient with his message. Jesus was patient with his message. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, a German pastor during World War II, before and during World War II, he actually was one of the uh, one of the pastors in Germany that stood against Hitler and against Nazi Germany. He left Germany and, and went abroad to teach, and then he came back to Germany. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was actually jailed because of his faith, because of his outspoken faith, and it's because of his outspokenness against the Nazis and against Hitler. And just before the end of World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was killed by the Nazis. He was executed. He became a martyr for his faith. That's a pretty powerful testimony to have. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Jesus himself did not try to convert the two thieves on the cross. He waited until one of them turned to him. 
One of the most important things you'll learn, and one of the most important things all of us need to learn about evangelism is patience. Patience. Because what happens, and maybe it happened to you when you were, when you were younger, or maybe it's happened to you in your life before you came to Christ. Someone tried to force you into a decision. They tried to push Jesus Christ on you and tried to push you into making a decision right then. I understand where they're coming from. I understand the, the, uh, the desire to get a decision right then. But not everybody is ready to make a decision for Jesus Christ the first time they hear it. Jesus understood that. And on the cross, Jesus didn't pursue them. He waited for the question. And when he was asked, he gave his answer. We need to be patient with our message. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning of verse 6. Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Now, Let's speak about the attitude that, that many people feel in church. And yet, I, I think what I see mostly, this play, the, 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 the attitude I see this played out mostly in, is in church against church. Can I tell you, that's not the way it was designed to be. It wasn't designed for churches to compete with each other. We are bodies of Christ. We have differences. We have different opinions. We have different philosophies. We have different styles. And that's why different people go to different churches. But we're all supposed to be in it for the same thing. Reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what has happened is that we have begun having competitions. To see who can have the biggest church. Who can have the most expensive building? Who can have the, the biggest this or the biggest that? And we've lost the understanding that what truly is about is reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, if I were to go and if I were to go to a, a, a church in the area and meet with their people on the down low and say, you know. We have some open seats in New Life. Why don't you come on over? I'm not building the kingdom of God. I'm simply rearranging the furniture in the house. See what I'm saying? I understand that um, when change comes, people need to change. And I understand that things happen. That take people out away from churches. And sometimes you just can't agree. I know that here at New Life, we are a different kind of ministry. We approach it differently. We have a different philosophy. We, we truly are different. We're a, we're, a, we're a different option. And that's what attracts a lot of people to us. But I also know that there are people that don't really care for what we do here in the style in which we do it and the way we, in which we do it. I appreciate that as well. And I can direct people like that to a church that will, will meet their needs. 
But by no means will I ever, as long as I'm the pastor, as long as I'm doing what God has called me to do, I will never try to undermine the ministry of another church simply to build mine up. Because that's wrong. I'm called to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm called to try to build a church and grow a people deep in their faith so that they will have a burden to live out the faith and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not called to compete with the church down the street. And we need to understand, in the church, now now we've talked about the macro part of Christianity, right? Church, church against church. How about inside the church? It's not about competition in here, folks. It's not about who can be the best, who can be the most, who can be the number one, who can be the most visible, who can do the most. Who can, it's not what it's about. Paul said, listen, I planted Apollos water, but neither one of us died on the cross to save anybody from their sins. God is the one that gives the increase. Our church has grown to the place where I cannot oversee everything. I can't do everything. We just There's just too much going on. So we have deacons that oversee ministries. We have leaders that oversee different ministries. And even when it comes to that, I... Chrissy, our, our children's director, is looking at a new curriculum, making a shift in a curriculum. And <laughs> I said, she asked me to check it out, so I looked at it. And I told her, I said, what I'm more concerned, I'm not really concerned so much with about how it's played out, how it's worked out. That's between you and your teachers. What I'm concerned about is making sure that it's doctrinally sound, that it comes from a place that agrees with us theologically and doctrinally, and that we're not teaching our kids stuff that's not biblical. How it plays out in the ministry, thats you've got to design that according to who you have, the, the resources and the assets you have. Does that make sense? Same thing in the youth ministry with Zach. Now, Zach and I talk a lot, and I, I help to mentor him and, and re- try to get him because the day may come where God calls Zach to plant the church or take a church. So that's a, a different level. But in the youth ministry, I want to know what, what he, I want to know an overview of what he's doing, but I can't get in and tell him this is what you need to do because he needs to be able to do it on his own. In other words, I don't want the glory of being the youth pastor. I don't want the glory of being the children's director. Many times there's no glory in being those two things anyway. <laughs> right? What I want is to be part of a team of believers that are working together as a well-oiled machine to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out, not just to children, not just to teenagers, but their families as well. And to help help the families of our church give them support as they raise their children. It's not my job to raise your children. It's not my job to come into your house and, and tell you what to do. What it's my job is to do is make sure that your church is giving you the tools that we can give to you to help you raise your children to the glory of Jesus Christ. It's not, and, and by the way, when your children grow up and become dynamite individuals who love Jesus Christ and have great success in their lives and do whatever God has called them to do, the glory will not be mine. And I won't seek it out. Because it's not about competition. 
It's about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand here. It's not about who does what. It's about what that gets done. It's not about who does what part. It's not about who plays what role. It's about the fact that we work together to get the job done. That's what it's about. Because remember, we refer to this verse quite often lately. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men and women to me. Not you. He takes the pressure off of you. And he puts it squarely on himself. It matters how you reach people. It matters how you reach people. Coercing people into a decision may not necessarily be the best way to do it. People who don't know what they're believing, you simply want them to make a decision so that you can put another notch on your, on your spear. Not the way to do it. It matters how you reach people. You can be too pushy with your faith. It's important that we plant the seed. We have some gardeners here, right? We have some people that have gardens and, and see the fruit. When did, you, when did you plant your garden? April. Well, it's August now. So, did you like the first week? Did you get a tomato? No. Took some time. You have to do some work there. Weed, water, even with all the rain we've had. Took a lot of work, right? Did you like the, I saw the eggplants. Good? I like good fried eggplant. Yes. Good stuff, I'm sure. I'm sure Drew could do a number with eggplant. He could probably make a, like a White House sculpture with an eggplant. But, but it took some time. It took some work. See, Paul used the illustration of planting and watering and harvesting for a reason. Because planting and harvesting a garden takes time. It takes effort. It takes work. And oh man, when the fruit comes because of your labor, there's great rejoicing. But we collectively rejoice. One of the greatest things to hear for me is a happy new lifer. Truly. I love it when I read on Facebook. New lifers write, I love my church. I love that. You know what? I'd rather read that than I hate my pastor. <laughs> Seriously. What that means is people are happy with what's going on here. Listen, you may not be, you may not have a child in the children's ministry and be happy for that. You may not have a kid in the youth group. You may be beyond those. You may not have a kid in the nursery yet. You may not even be married yet. But you can rejoice in everything that goes on in this church. Even if you don't have a direct hand in it. Why? Because you are a supporter of what's going on. You are part of the water that is watering the ministry of New Life Church. The encouragement. It's been a great summer of attendance. I shared with the deacons in the last meeting. Our attendance blew me away when I sat down and looked at the numbers. We've never had a summer this good. It's been awesome. We've, we've broken 100 a few times this summer. It's awesome. We've never done that in the summer before. That's not me. That's not my work. It's yours. 
And a big part of that is you actually showed up on Sundays. You see, the success of a church is collective because everybody works together to get the job done. We work together. Our job is to share and then get out of the way. Share our faith and get out of the way of the Holy Spirit so He can work. John 16, verses 7 and 8, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I go away, the counselor, if I don't go away, the counselor will not come. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the Holy Spirit's job to draw people to Jesus Christ. It's your job to, to shine your light and to set the table for them. And it doesn't matter who gets the credit. If we're not patient with our message and we try to force people into a decision, and we don't let the Holy Spirit lead them, then we very well, very well might push them away. That's why here at New Life we try to be so welcoming to everybody. Truly, I mean, a lot of churches say everybody's welcome, but they're really not. And many of you have experienced that in your life, right? You've experienced where people will, will they'll put them on their sign, all are welcome. As long as you sit over there, as long as you don't, you know, for those of us with tattoos, as long as you wear sleeves that cover those, we, you know, because we don't want to offend people. You're going to offend. You know what this means? This tattoo is, this tattoo is a show of my love, man. My wife and I are loved. That means... That's the adoption logo, because we became a family through adoption. That heart is the love that we have for our boys. And those wings, our boys' names are Gabriel and Michael, so those are angels' wings. I'm proud of that. You're offended by my tattoo? I'll show you two little boys who have wild hair. That if it wasn't for the love that this expresses, it would probably be drug mules on the streets of Holyoke right now. That's the truth. So I don't really care if people are offended by that. And if you have tattoos, you're welcome in our church. I don't care about it. You're welcome. We truly mean that. We truly believe that. That offends some people, go figure. But we are not in the business of pushing people away. We want to draw them in. And lastly, Jesus was passionate with his message. I hope the passion that I have for evangelism came across this morning. I believe that is the heartbeat of God and that is the heartbeat of this ministry. It's to share the love of Jesus Christ. My goal is not to build a mega church here. If that happens, wonderful. Wonderful. You know what my goal is? And I, I talked with, the, talk with uh, some people in the church about this. I talked with some of our deacons about this. My goal right now is to set this church up for the next generation. I'm 56. Now that's, I'm not, I'm not ready to push up daisies tomorrow. But a lot of you are a whole lot younger. I am in the, I am in the, the last third of the age group in this church. If I'm making a church for 56 year old men, then I'm missing the point. What I'm trying to do is develop a church and set up a church that will be generational. That your children and grandchildren will still be able to go to. 
years down the road. You know what that means? I might not be the one up here, up front. Somebody else might be leading this church. That's okay with me. Not that I, please don't get me wrong. Not that I want to retire or leave tomorrow. But it's not about whose name is on the sign. It's about what faith we represent in the name that we publish and put forth into this world. We need to be passionate about our faith. Not about, not about who our pastor is. Not about what we offer, but passionate about our faith. Jesus could not pass up an opportunity to reach out to others. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14, 14, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. What do you see? How do you see your community? How do you see your world? How do you see those around you? As school gets ready to get back in session, how do you see those children that your kids will be uh, learning with? How do you see those teachers? You see, what was said to my, my son could really get me riled up and could put me on the defensive. You know what I see? I see a community of people who need Jesus Christ. And I will be an active father in the school, and Aaron will be an active mother, and we will be at every play, we will be at every science fair, we will be at every, uh, I don't know what they do in third grade, we'll be at everything these boys do, and we will be right up front, and we will be talking and smiling and loving and, and telling people where we live and what we do. And we will be trying our dead level best to shine the light of Jesus Christ. Because from what was said to my second grade son, I realized they need Jesus. And that's what I want to do. Show them Jesus. Not show them what a tough guy I can be. I want to show them the love of Jesus. And I want to show them and I want them to understand, you, you better hope my, 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 my boys bring Jesus as well. You better hope Matthew Fisher brings Jesus into this community. You better hope the Charbonneau kids bring Jesus into this school system. You better hope all the other East Longmeadow kids bring Jesus. You better hope all the Springfield kids bring Jesus. You better hope the Longmeadow and the Wilbraham and the Ludlow and the Westfield and the West Springfield kids bring Jesus with them. Because that's the only hope you have. That's the only hope that's out there. Well, that's kind of a... Don't you think that's over the top? Absolutely not. I'm passionate about reaching people with Jesus Christ. The young man who just got into a brand new school. Sadness. There's a reason. Not just because he's going to get a good education. There's a reason why God is allowing Charlie Rowe to be in Sabbath. And then the two new rows that will be coming along. Because Sabbath needs the light of Jesus. You see, that's what it's about. That's what being passionate about your faith does. Jesus knew that his message needed to continue so he passed it on. He discipled others. Sharing the burden and preparing others is vital 
passing the faith along. So Jesus shared his message. Jesus managed his message. Jesus shared his faith. He did it strategically. By that I mean Jesus had a plan. He had a purpose. He knew and was prepared and ready every day to face the world with love, compassion, grace, and a message that would change their lives. What about you? We are the light of the world now. How do you face the world? Are you prepared to share your faith? Grace, love, compassion, and commitment. I wonder. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come to you, come to your house today and to learn about you. Lord, I know that this is always a, a difficult topic for some people to hear about, Lord, because we don't feel as if we are qualified. But Lord, I pray that every individual here will realize that it's not about being the most vocal. It's about being ready. God, I pray that you'll help each one of us look into our hearts, look into our spirit, and ask you what we can do to be better prepared. And ask what we can do to be more aware of our situations so that we can take every opportunity to share our faith in a loving and compassionate way. God, thank you for this group of people that came out today. What a great crowd on the summer Sunday. Pray that as we go from this place, we will go forward with love and grace and compassion and, and look at others, not with judgment, but with compassion, Lord, knowing that people need you more than they need anything else from us. Bless us. May we honor you in all things. It's in your name we pray. Amen.